Is everybody warm enough? Are you comfortable okay? All right. All right, Chris, ready to go? Now, over this past few weeks, as you know, I've, we have been doing a series, uh, Notable Woman of the Bible. And uh, although there was more to do, which I didn't do because uh, we talked in the past at length about Ruth and Miriam and Hannah and different ones, so uh, I feel just to leave that there for the moment. Uh, but on the back of that, and just for maybe a couple of times, uh, I thought it might be good to do uh, some notorious woman of the Bible for the sake of balance. <laughs> Uh, notorious woman of the Bible, and there are a few uh, who, it's not their nobility uh, that we'll be thinking about, but their notoriety. And uh, the first one I want to look at this morning is Delilah. Uh, Delilah, obviously, be one of the most famous and obvious ones to look at at the beginning. And uh, she is, as they say in modern day terms, some piece of work. She really is uh, scheming, conniving, manipulative, uh, a real temptress, but yet highly attractive and sultry. And uh, she would be, to Samson, uh, the Venus flytrap. Uh, she would be to Samson like the siren that would uh, get the sailors to come and crash and shipwreck on the rocks. If Samson was Superman, she would be the kryptonite. She spelt trouble for him. And uh, it would be impossible for us this morning to look at Delilah without also looking at the story of Samson. Uh, these two are inextricably linked, uh, like Jezebel and Ahab, or like Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. And so Samson and Delilah are together in this story. And it is a tremendous story, even though it's a tragedy, but yet it teaches us huge lessons about our lives as believers uh, and things that we can be aware of and uh, things that ought to alarm us. And so I want to go right back to the beginning. So if you come with me, please, to the book of Judges, which is the seventh book of the Old Testament, book of Judges, and we're going to begin reading from the 13th chapter of the book of Judges. I feel that I need to take you back to the beginning to get the, particularly to get the full import of the story of Samson. Uh, really, Delilah was the, I suppose, was the final bombshell for him, uh, but we need to know a little bit about his beginnings. And so chapter 13 of Judges. <clears throat> Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, this is uh, a recurring theme in the book of Judges, where you find that Israel, uh, through compromise and backsliding and uh, assimilating uh, into the other pagan groups around them and nations, uh, and then they would come into a servitude. They would be held uh, not 
captive, put up, locked up, but actually in captivity and bondage, as it were, to those nations around them. And then when they had enough of that, they would cry unto the Lord. And the Lord, in His great mercy, because He saw their true repentance, He would come and He would raise up a national deliverer. And there are quite a number of them. And by the time you come here to Judges 13, and the Philistines now are the ones who are highlighted as the ones who brought Israel into servitude, uh, this is about the seventh cycle that you read throughout the book of Judges. And you see that this particular cycle lasted for 40 years. Now, in the midst of this, there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. The Danites were probably the worst, or at least one of the worst, of the tribes of Israel. I don't need to, this morning I haven't time to go into the reason why I'm saying that, but trust me, they were. And yet, in spite of that, here is at least one godly, uncompromising couple who loved the Lord and who served Him with all of their hearts. And so it is to this couple that the Lord comes to. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed now you are barren and have, uh, sorry, indeed now you are barren and have borne no children. But you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine nor similar drink, and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite, to God from the womb, and he shall begin to de deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Now let's just take a breather for a moment and just reflect on those few uh, scriptures. Now, a Nazarite, the Hebrew word Nazir, means separated. Simply means to be separated. And biblical separation in the Bible was not just a separation from, but a separation unto. Uh, in our lives, there is a separation. There are certain things of this world that we are separated from, and that's the negative side of separation. But the positive side is there are things, and there is one especially, that we are separated onto. And so, a Nazarite was one who was separated. Now, generally speaking, uh, this would be voluntary. Uh, that a person could take a Nazarite vow for a limited period, it may be for months, it may be for a year, it may be for more than that, whatever they felt. And during that time, there were certain restrictions placed upon them regarding separation. And some of those restrictions it mentions there, uh, for instance, they were not allowed to cut their hair. And that was the outward sign of their Nazarite vow. So any Israelite would see someone, a man particularly, with uncut hair, particularly if it's any great length, would know and, and feel immediately there's a person who's taken a Nazarite vow. And also, they were not to drink any wine or any intoxicating strong drink. They would have nothing to do with anything of the fruit of the vine whatsoever. And if you read it further in the Old Testament, they were to uh, not touch anything that was unclean, either food or anything, and certainly not to touch any dead thing because that would uh, cause them to be unclean ceremonially. And so there was a number of restrictions that they were to adhere to while they had taken this vow. And if you notice here that in the case of Samson that was going to be born to this family, it wasn't voluntary. This was a command of the Lord, and he was to be a Nazarite from the moment he was born to the day he died. So this 
vie would be on him all of his natural life. And not only that, even his mother during her nine-month pregnancy would also uh, have to take on these restrictions before her little son was born. So you see, this is a very serious thing. By the way, I, I should also point out that you see here that the angel of the Lord comes and tells her that she's going to have a child. Only two people uh, whose birth was announced by an angel in the Old Testament was Isaac, son of Abraham, and Samson. And only two in the New Testament, John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus. So all of those things make him and this situation very, very unique indeed. And so it says that he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, he never did complete that job. And one of the reasons for that, apart from his own personal failures, but one of the reasons for that was simply this, that Israel as a nation hadn't really repented. Now, normally, whenever they would be under servitude for a long time, and they realized this is no way for us to be living our lives because we're covenant people, they would repent and cry unto God. He would raise up a national deliverer, and they would gather around that deliverer, whether it be Deborah or whoever it would be, they'd gather around that deliverer and they would fight against their enemies and they would win victories. But there was no repentance during this time of the Philistine servitude. And so God raised up and is going to raise up Samson as a, a deliverer, but if you read his story, nobody gathered around him at all, not one single person. In fact, 3,000 of his countrymen wanted to actually literally hand him over to the Philistines to have him killed. And so all his battles are personal battles against the Philistines, as we'll see as we read on here. But at least he exposed the state of the nation, an unrepentant, idolatrous nation who had now settled into life very comfortably with the Philistines. By the way, the Philistines, one of their chief uh, things they were good at was smelting iron. And because they were good iron smelters, they were the ones who could make weapons, they could make plows, they could make spades, shovels, farm implements, and they restricted the Israelites from having any weapons whatsoever. And if they had to buy a shovel or a plow, they had to go to the Philistines. But they had lived under this servitude for so long, and, and because the Philistines wasn't out slaughtering them every day, they were comfortable, and life was, you know, it was pretty prosperous for them. And so they didn't see any real need to repent and call upon God for a deliverer. And so when Samson comes along, they're not too happy about Samson because he keeps stirring up the Philistines in hoping they would get stirred up the Israelites, but they don't. In fact, they get more angry with him as he goes on. And so that's where we are. So the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. So she's not too sure is this a prophet? Is this an angel? What is this? Because obviously he came and looked like a man. And so she said he was very awesome, but I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent to us again, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. 
Now notice here that Manoah, the angel of the Lord, came to his wife. Didn't come to him initially. So he's praying for the angel of the Lord to come to them again. Not that he wants to prove this because he already believes his wife. So he's acting in faith here. He just wants to know, how can we handle this? How can we raise this child the way you want? And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, Look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah arose and followed his wife. When When he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? He said, I am. Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you, and we will prepare a young goat for you. Obviously he didn't know fully sure who he was talking to here. Is it a man? Is it a prophet? Is it an angel? He looked every part like a man, but there's still something different about this person. Then Manoah said to the angel, Please let me detain you, and we will prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. This is an Old Testament appearance of Christ, by the way. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, name, saying it is wonderful? What a great name, wonderful. Isaiah the prophet in chapter 9 verse 6 said his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, didn't he? And he's about to do something wonderful, full of wonder and awe in a moment here. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it upon the rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. It happened as the flame went upward towards heaven from the altar that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground And the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. And his wife said to him, If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. That was good wise advice, wasn't it? So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Manahe Dan between Zorah and Eshtaol. Well, we don't know exactly what that means. The Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. We'll see some of it in a moment or two. But obviously, growing up, he knew he was different. Obviously, his parents told him about this wonderful vow that the angel had come to him, so he knew he was special, that he was called by God. He had got a wonderful gift, supernatural gift in his life. Now you come to chapter 14, time has gone on. He's now a man now, he's not a child anymore. Now, Samson went down to Timnah, 
and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. And so he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughter of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me as a wife. Now he ought not to have been going to Timnah. He certainly ought not to be looking a wife from the daughters of the Philistines. But as I said, because Israel was comfortable with the Philistines, even though they were under servitude, and there was much intermarrying, assimilating, which is part of the Philistines' plot to weaken the nation. And so this would be a common thing, but not for him. Not for him. Not for any of the Israelites, but most especially not for this man of God with this call upon his life. But you'll see here that he's quite headstrong. He's quite a willful young man. And so he says, therefore get her for me for a wife. So that again was the day when there was arranged marriages. So he says, go and get her. That's the one I want. Go and find her for me. I want her as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, there, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. My margin says, Because she is right in my eyes. Ah, Now you're beginning to see a side to this young man that wanted his way on his will, on his desire. And it didn't matter that it was against the teaching of Scripture. It didn't matter it was against the plain Word of God and the law of God. It didn't matter even that his godly parents were advising him strongly against this. This is what he wanted. It seemed good in his eyes. And that's a recurring thing in the book of Judges. In fact, the very last verse in the book of Judges tells us there was no king in Israel in those days and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And here is Samson copying the world's thinking around him. He ought to be separated, he ought to be different, but he's acting as if he's just one of the rest. And he wasn't. So he says, get her for me. She seems good in my sight. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Now because it says that this was of the Lord doesn't mean that it was right. It doesn't mean that the Lord put it in his heart to do this. It meant the Lord was going to even use his folly as an occasion against the Philistines. The Bible says that God can even cause the very wrath of man to praise him. So don't get the idea that he was doing God's bidding here. God was allowing this to happen and going to use his own folly and stupidity and his wrongdoing to use that against the Philistines. Are you still with me? All right. So... Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now he's already broken one of the rules of the Nazarite and that was separation. He's now down among the vineyards where he had no business being, by the way. He's breaking another one of his rules. 
But once you start to break the rules, it gets easier to do, doesn't it? Now to his surprise, a young lion came out roaring against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. And so this young, strong lion came out, and suddenly the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore it apart. But he held that to himself. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. And after some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. Now, the fact that it says he turned aside meant he went out of his way to see the carcass of the lion. He had no business being near any carcass of anything or anybody. So he's constantly toying, pushing the envelope regarding this great call of God in his life. Should have known better. Did know better. But, and here's the problem with great gifted people, because the Spirit of the Lord can come upon a person, anoint a person, if they lose their character, they may still have their charisma, but if they lose their character, they're heading for real trouble. But the problem is, as long as that gift keeps working, they think, there's no problem. God's still pleased. He's still with me. But you'll see in a moment as we go on that God leaves him. So he turns aside to see the carcass of the lion and behold a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. Some of you older ones will remember if you get a little pot of Tate and Lyle syrup, that little golden pot and you look upon it you'll see that little drawing of the lion and all the bees buzzing around it. That's where they got the idea from. Out of the strong came forth sweetness. Behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along eating. Well, he shouldn't have been eating that that came from something dead. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them. And they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. <sighs> Should not have done that. And so his father went down to the woman. And Samson gave a feast there. For young men used to do so. And it happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. Now this is Samson's stagnate. Be very, very careful, young men, what you do in your stagnate. There was a feast, it says here. And when you look up the word feast, it just doesn't mean eating. It means drinking. The wine was flowing. They were lining up at the bar. And I find it hard to believe that Samson, being there, wasn't among them. He had broken all the other rules. This is just another one, isn't it? And so here he is. Then Samson said to them, Let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you will give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, Pose your riddle that we may hear it. Now riddles in those days, was, it was like a party game. Very, very popular doing riddles. So he thought, well, I'll give them a good riddle. I'll never get this one. 
And he says, I'll make it really, really good. I'll make it really attractive for them. All these changes. These are very expensive. These was top-of-the-range clothes we're talking about. This wasn't just something you put on to go to work. I mean, this was three-piece suits and all that, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think this will ever come back, this style? (laughs) But anyway, he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days they could not explain the riddle. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you in your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have posted a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, Look, I have not explained it to my father or mother, so should I explain it to you? Now she had wept on him seven days while the feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her because she oppressed him so much. Then he explained the riddle to the sons of her people. Then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him, On the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. That doesn't seem very complimentary, does it? Call his wife a cow. <laughs> but again, Hebrews had a way of being very poetic, if you could say that. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. And he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men and took their apparel and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. Ashkelon was a long, long, long way, perhaps 20 miles from where this happened. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. If he should have killed anybody, it was those rascals that threatened to kill his wife and father-in-law and burn them with fire. Not saying he should have, but if he was going to do it with anybody, it should have been them. But instead, he goes 20 miles and he kills 30 innocent men. So in other words, he's taking this great gift that God has given it and he's using it for a wrong reason. And so, his anger was aroused and he went back up to his father's house. And so he's mad, he's angry. And he goes back home to think things over, try to cool off a bit. We don't know how long he stayed there. Might have been a while. Seemed to have been a while anyway. Because when Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man, hadn't come back for a while, and the father thought, doesn't like my daughter, so I'm going to give her to the best man. Now if he was angry before, He's going to be angry now, isn't he? And after a while, in the time of the wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. This would be the equivalent of a box of dairy box or a bunch of flowers. <laughs> Literally. And he said, Let me go into my wife, into her room. Hey, this is my wife. I never got consummated in the marriage. Come on, I'm her husband. But her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? 
Please take her instead. Samson said to them, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. The fact that he said this time shows you that he had some conscience later on about what he had done in Ashkelon. Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes. Some commentator says he was probably jackals because jackals tend to hunt in packs and foxes usually doesn't. And he took torches and turned the fox's tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And then he had set the torches on fire and he let the foxes or the jackals go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up the shocks and the standing grain as well as the vineyards and olive groves. The Philistines said, Who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her, fa- her and her father with fire. If only she had told Samson in the first place. Samson said to them, Since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take vengeance on you, and after that I will cease. So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelt in the clefts of the rock at Eton. Now the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? And so they answered, We have come up to arrest Samson and to do to him as he has done to us. Then the 3,000 men of Judah, you can hardly believe what you're just going to read here. Then the 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this that you have done to us? And as he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. Now just pause a moment. 3,000 Men of Judah went to Samson and said, Look at the mess you've gotten us into. You understand that we're ruled by the Philistines. Now they're going to come and they're going to kill us. If only those 3,000 men had recognized the call of God in this man of God's life and says, Listen, we know that God has given you a wonderful gift. We know that God has anointed you greatly. We know that God has called you to be a deliverer in Israel. And we're going to stand behind you. We're going to get around you. We're going to take up force against these enemies. If only they had done that. But they didn't. They didn't. <coughs> then they said to him, We have come down to arrest you, that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. Then Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. Now, this is one of the high points in Samson's story, by the way. Either he didn't want to harm his own people, or he felt, if I go against my own people, that gift that God has given me won't work. This is for against the Philistines, not my own people. At least at this point, he had enough sense to recognize and realize, I can't go against my own people. And so he spoke to them saying, no, but we will, they spoke to him saying, no, in other words, we'll not kill you, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and they brought him up from the rock. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. 
And the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire. And his bonds broke loose from his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, probably with its teeth still intact. And he found a fresh bone of a donkey and reached out his hand and took it and killed a thousand men with it. <laughs> then Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. What a calling this man. What an anointing. What supernatural strength. And here he is, fearless in the face of thousands of Philistines and he whips into them with a jawbone of an ass and he kills a thousand of them. And he doesn't stop till there's a thousand lying in heaps. And so it was when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and he called the name of that place Ramath Lehi. Lehi means jawbone. Ramath means height. So he calls it jawbone height. That sounds like somewhere out of an old Western movie, doesn't it? You heard of the gunfight at O.K. Corral? This is a slaughter at Jawbone Hill. Then he became very thirsty. And so he cried out to the Lord and said, this is the first time you'll see him praying. There's only two prayers he prays in this story. This is the first one. Cries out to the Lord. And this is a good prayer. This is Samson at his best. He said, you have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. So he's acknowledging and recognizing that this, this is this what you have given me is your gift to me, but it's really you. And now I shall die of thirst, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. So God spit the hollow place that was in Lehi, and water came out, and he drank, and his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore he called the name, its name, Enhakor, spring of the collar, which is in Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. All right, are you still with me? I know it's a fairly lengthy story, and we're trying to get through it bit by bit, but just hang in there. In the last chapter, we'll soon be coming to Delilah, all right? I haven't forgotten about her. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there. Now you can see this man's got a problem. You see this man, even though he can break ropes like threads, but this man is bound on the inside with passions and lusts that he can't break. And his downfall was woman. Sex, lust. This is his downfall. And here he is. Just goes to a harlot. And when the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. And they were quiet all night, saying, In the morning when it is daylight, we will kill him. And Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight. And took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts and pulled them up bar and all. And put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Now gates of the city were large gates. 
And even though they'd be made of wood, but they'd be overlaid most times with metal to stop people setting fire to them if an enemy came. And they would be well grounded by these great posts on either side and a big lintel across the top. And what does he do? He goes and he just lifts the whole lot of them right out of the ground. And not only that, he carries it to the hill Hebron. Now whether that was literally to the mountain of Hebron, which was probably 30 miles away, or whether it was a hill in the direction of Hebron, we're not sure, but it was a significant feat he accomplished, one that would absolutely put terror into the hearts of the, of the Philistines in Gaza. And he's just left the house of a prostitute. And yet, the anointing of God is still on him. And there lies the greatest and the biggest danger. And this was his greatest danger because in spite of his sin, in spite of his wrongdoing, the call was still there, the anointing was still there. And the tragedy is he thought it would always be there. And here's the great warnings to all of us who serves the Lord in whatever capacity. God gifts us, He calls us, He anoints us. And sometimes we think we can live whatever way we like and it doesn't matter because you can get up and preach, you can get up and sing, or you can get up and visit, you can get up and witness, you can get up and do whatever you do. You think, God's okay because I still feel the anointing. Well, you can see it's a very dangerous game to play. And afterwards, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Zorak, whose name was Delilah. Now, we really don't know anything about Delilah. Uh, we're probably quite certain that she was a Philistine, even though she had a Semitic name. Perhaps she was of mixed race. But what we do know is that she must have been a highly attractive and a highly desirable woman. It says the lords of the Philistines came up to her. Now these lords of the Philistines, there were various cities of the Philistines. Gaza, Gath, Ashkelon, Ashdod, and Akron. There was five major cities. So the five leaders of the five major cities of the whole nation of the Philistines came to this woman. And they really felt with this woman there was a chance. So she must have been known. They came up to her and said, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies. Let me just stop there for one second. In most people's mind's eye, and maybe yours this morning, we visualize Samson, and we were brought up from Sunday school days with this, we visualize Samson as somebody like Arnold Schwarzenegger. As somebody who's got biceps like footballs and legs like tree trunks and a washboard chest, belly, and a barrel of a chest. And that's her image. But he wasn't like that at all. If he had been like that, they would never ask this question. It would have been obvious where his strength lay if that's what he'd looked like. You wouldn't even have to ask him. 
I mean, you see the, the world's strongest man on TV. You see these guys pulling a double-dagger bus with their teeth. You know what I mean? And they're, and they're lifting great big beer crags up above their head two at a time and all this stuff. And then you look at them, and they're, they're about 30 stone. And I mean, they're massive big men. It's obvious and easy to look and say, well, he looks a strong man. He looks every bit of strong man. But Samson wasn't like that. He just looked like any other man. Now, he was probably a fairly handsome man. Certainly looked different in that he had this long hair. Remember, he hadn't cut his hair for 40 years now. So long, long, long hair. Probably black too. Probably shiny as well. And ringlets. So he looked different that way. But physically, his physique was ordinary. And that's what puzzled the Philistine. How come this man's so strong? I mean, he just looks like any other man. So, find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Every one of us will give you this. That's 5,500 pieces of silver. That was an enormous amount of money in those days. Humongous. She'll think she'd won the lottery. I mean, it's a clean fortune. Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. A measly 30 pieces. Delight is going to sell in this man for 5,500 pieces of silver. And so once she heard that, even though Samson said he loved her, and maybe she told Samson she loved him because she's a liar as well as a cheat, but once she heard the money, there was no turning back. She'd never get a chance to get in her life again. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and with what you may be bound, listen to it, to afflict you. The alarm bell should have been ringing right then. I mean, that seems a strange request for somebody that you love and is supposed to be loving you. How can I afflict you? Well, either he didn't believe her or he played the game. And he said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now men were lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire, so the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now he's heard this before from that one he married. She did it for him for seven days, didn't she, at the feast. He's hearing it again, but he's not listening. He's hearing, but he's not listening. You see, he's invincible now. He's invincible. Cannot be beaten. Doesn't matter what he does. He can lie with prostitutes. He can break all his vows. Doesn't matter. God's still with him. The anointing of God still comes upon him. He can kill lions. He can slay thousands thousand Philistines. Doesn't matter. Well, you see, he's time he's calling, isn't he? And so, so Delilah said to Samson, Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now tell me what you may be bound with. So he said to her, If they bind me securely with new ropes, 
that have never been used, then I shall become weak and like any other man. In chapter 15, verse 13, when the men of Judah came to him, what did they tie him with? New ropes. He's been down this road before. He knows he can do this. Philistines obviously had forgotten about that, or these lot didn't know about it. But he knew, and he remembered. Therefore Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men were lying in wait and staying in a room. But he broke them off his arms like a threat. Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head into the web of the loom. Ah. He's coming perilously close to giving away his secret. He has played fast and loose with the anointing, with the call of God on his life, and now he's right to the very edge. And he thinks, do you know what? I can take this to the edge and I can just pull back anytime I want. But he's on a merry-go-round now he can't get off. Somebody said that temptation is not like falling over a cliff. It's like, it's like on a toboggan. If you don't get off early, you have no chance of getting off and that thing's going down that slope. It's going too fast and you can't get off. Well, he can't get off anymore. He thinks he can, but he can't. So if you weave the seven locks of my head under the web of the loom, so she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom and said to, them, said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and he pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. <laughs> Can you imagine? He, here he is lying here and she weaves this long hair into the, literally weaves it into the fabric on the loom and he jumps up and he pulls the whole loom, all the posts, everything, all the bolts out of the floor, he pulls the whole lot up. And then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? That's a bit rich coming from her, isn't it? Yeah. What a scheming, lying, conniving, evil woman this is. How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and she pressed him so that his soul was vaxed to death. Margin Mayor Margin Mayor said that his patience ran out. But he told her all that was in his heart. And he said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. And if I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And I think at that point the penny must have dropped with Delilah. Why did I not see it before? How could we be so blind? Why would a 40-year-old man have seven great big long ringlets down to his waist? Why would anybody run about that way? Now she's finding out. Because this was an outward sign of the inward call of God in his life. And he was right. Once this hair would be cut, he would be like any other man. He wasn't called to be like any other man. And you're not called to be like any other man or any other woman. You're a believer in Christ. You're different. There's a higher standard for us. Amen? 
When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she went and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. She made sure she got the dosh. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees. This fellow was always falling asleep around women. I don't know what it was. And called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him. Here he is lying sleeping. Shaven bald. Still slept all the way through it. And while he's lying there, she's mocking him. She's tormenting him. She's browbeating him, one of the margins says. But she is a wicked woman. You know what she's doing? She's testing him. She's trying to see, is this going to work? Then she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times, and I will shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. I think probably those are the saddest words in the Old Testament. Tragic words. He did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Thought I'd just get up, just be the same as all the other times. But he pushed the envelope too far. He'd gone too far this time. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes. They gouged out his eyes and they brought him down to Gaza and they bound him with bronze fetters. They could have bound him with rubber bands now. Wouldn't have mattered. He's just like any other man. And he became a grinder in the prison. Grinding corn was woman's work. And here he is, blind, shorn, grinding out corn in a prison. What a tragedy. What an awful sight to see the anointed servant of God. What a fall from a great height. Okay for time yet, Chris? We'll have to finish this, haven't we? However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. I wonder, when his hair started to grow again, I wonder did his... I wonder did his determination to remember his vows and remember his calling and think back to what it could have been and should have been. You know, at that time in the prison, and it was lonely and it was hard, it was difficult, it was shameful, humiliating. And maybe at the beginning, he hadn't really thought about his hair anymore. And maybe one day, maybe just put his hand up to his head and thought, ah, my hair is starting to grow again. I wonder... I wonder if it grows back. I wonder would the Lord, I don't know, I've blown it. Surely the Lord wouldn't. No, I don't, I don't think the Lord would, would, would ignite that calling again. Do you think he would? I wonder was all these thoughts going through his mind. I think they were. And so it says, Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has delivered into our hands Samson our enemy. 
And when the people saw him, they praised their God and said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, the one who multiplied our dead. And so it happened when their hearts were merry, when they were drunk, in other words, that they said, Call for Samson that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison and he performed for them. doesn't say what that was. Here he's like a circus animal. It's like one of those bears you see in Turkey with a chain around its neck on the beach. What a tragedy. What a pity. What a mess. What a lesson. And they stationed him between the pillars. This was probably a big kind of amphitheater. Certainly had a big balcony. And Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. And Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, this is his second prayer, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistine for my two eyes. Now, I wish they had a said for your honor and for your glory. But he says, for my two eyes. Selfish to the end. Really pity, isn't it? All I could think about was vengeance for my two eyes. But in spite of that, the Lord would honor that prayer. Because the Lord had an occasion against the Philistines. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right hand and the other on his left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he killed in his life. And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of his father Manoah. And he judged Israel 20 years. A wonder was Delilah in the temple that day. Triggeringly, the Bible doesn't tell us. She may have took the money and run. May have got a house in the south of France somewhere. Who knows? But maybe, just maybe. Because remember, she was the one who betrayed him. She was the one of infamy, notoriety. Maybe she was there, gloating. I did that. It was me, you know. They were the, the lords came to me, you know. I, I was the only one in all of Philistine that could do that. I'd like to think she was there, but I can't say for sure. But he killed more than his death than he did in his life. But it's a story of what could have been. It's a story of what should have been. What might have been. I don't want that written over the gravestone of my life. 
what could have been, what should have been, what might have been. And you don't want that either, sure you don't. So let's look at the call of God. Let's look at the anointing God gives us all because we're all anointed and called to God to do something and be something. And let's say, Lord, I want to honor you for that. And I want my life to honor you for that. I want it to be a reflection of who you are in me. And if we do that and we keep ourselves humble before him, there's no telling what he can do. And at the end of our lives, what he will write over it will be what would be pleasing. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these tremendous stories that are in your word. Life stories. And Lord, we thank you that you do not hide the faults and the failures of your heroes and servants in the word. But you write it plain and clear for us to learn from. So, Lord, teach us to walk before you softly and humbly. For, Lord, without your spirit, without your call, we're nothing. We're just like any other man or woman. No different. And yet, you make the difference. And your anointing and your call makes the difference to us. And so we thank you for it. In Christ's name.